Hi, this is Aaron Douglas. I'm Chief Tyrrell in Battlestar Galactica, and you are listening to Galactica Quorum online. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. Actually, I really wanted to go for something coming up, and they were like, uh, to be honest, we can't have that, because there's too many of you right now who are going through similar things. Mm. <laughs> I won't say who the others are, but there are people who don't have hair in our show, and they were like, no, you've got to keep some, James. So I think they're either going to go find something new, or they will actually go to the base star, in which case that would give Athena an opportunity to see her old chums again, and have Anders see a Cylon ship and get further wigged out. Stop being a wuss and just do it. They turn him into this big whoopee. Every time they show up, they're like these pod people. Come like, with Come us. Come with us. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. This is episode number 43. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica. I'm Brian, and joining me today is... Michelle. And by phone... And Jen. Glad to have you with us. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And our voicemail... 206-350-6756 and our website galacticacorum.com I want to point out we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode. They've been kind of behind the season with when they post them but definitely we have not listened to podcast for the episode Faith. And we will not be discussing any spoilers. In fact, I don't even watch the previews so if I say something and you're like, ugh, that was in the preview... Oh, my gods. <laughs> oh, my gods. <laughs> Just want to mention, we are happy to do plugs for your podcast or your website or anything that you would like to promote. This time, I want to mention that the Two Guys Talking Network is doing a contest involving the new Indiana Jones movie. I will post a link on our website and our show notes regarding that. We have a few emails to talk about this time. We're going to intersperse them throughout the podcast because some talk about the last episode, some talk about this episode. We got an email from Michael, who wrote, telling about a theory based on the biblical meaning of numbers related to the Cylon models. He writes that with explicit religious ties to the Cylons and Balthar looking more and more like a Christ figure, it's not unreasonable to think that some thought has gone into the numbers. And he goes into detail about various associations with numbers as they relate to biblical texts. And it's uh, it's really interesting. It's just too long to get into. Worth checking out. So I'll put that also in our show notes. Or on the forum. Or on the forum. I have a voicemail from Jen. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny. Hey guys, it's Jen, sometimes co-podcaster of the Galactica Quorum. I was at work and I just finished listening to episode 42, the podcast about the road less traveled. And I just wanted to call in and leave a couple comments. Ari, the, the Demetrius, the poop vessel, as Michelle called it. What I'm wondering is, how is it that the sewage vessel for the fleet is so expendable? What are the other ships in the fleet doing while this, this ship that's, I would assume, supposed to be taking care of their excess waste is off on the other side of the galaxy jumping around looking for Earth with its crazy captain at the helm? Where's their waste going? Are they leaving trails of poop across the galaxy while they wait for the Demetrius to return? And then at the beginning, when you guys were talking about the different versions of the, what's it called that Brian does? You know, 
the thingy that he does at the beginning where he does a summary, a summary, yeah, you can tell that work is firing my brain today. I also thought a James Carville uh, version would be interesting, you know, the crazy uh, bald Democrat pundit guy, he's he's uh, got a nice accent and uh, you could do a whole political twist on it like you guys have been complaining. The other thing is I totally agree, agree with Brian about the mutiny, and I totally knock Hila's behavior too, doing the flip-flop where he's all about duty, 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 and then Athena gives him a look and a whine, and suddenly he's relieving Starbuck of her command. I know they had to do it. They had to do the mutiny, like Brian was saying, they could have done it in a less annoying way. The whiny, whiny attitudes of these people that are in the military who were sent on a mission, just totally annoying to me. But they had to, in some way, they had to relieve her of command at some point so that they could turn the plot, just like they had to kill Callie, just like they had they had to reveal that that uh, her husband and friends were Cylons, and then they had to kill her because you couldn't... It would, it would introduce an entirely new storyline of trying to keep Callie from keep telling their secret or turn her to be their ally or whatever. She had to go out the airlock. And just regarding Callie and the funeral scene, uh, my friend Jen made a good point that there will be a ton of geeky girls out there naming their firstborn Calandra now, now that we know Callie's full name. Anyway... I had other comments too, but I can't remember them now. It's it's much easier to do it when you're in podcast process. So I enjoyed this episode and hope that I can hang out with you guys soon and do it again. Talk to you later. But Katrina, where is where is their sewage treatment? Yeah, that's it's, it's uh, they've been the Demetrius has been gone for over two months now, right? Right. You're like wondering, are they just like collecting it in barrels somewhere? Ew. Or are, pol- are polluting intergalactic space. They're leaving a big stinky trail <laughs> across that's the universe. That's how the Cylons are going to track that's them. That's how they track them. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the one, one of the reasons why I was saying, instead of having this whole ruse about it being a garbage ship or a sewage ship, just make it a regular vessel and not deal with all this stuff about poop. converting a poop ship. <laughs> so, just want to bring up that, once again, Pike has done a video recap of the last episode, putting video to my recaps. And actually, I should read an email from Paul. Paul writes, I would like to know your feelings about being ripped off by the sci-fi network when it comes to what the frack happened on BSG video. These seem to follow your style of sly sarcasm of your recap of the shows, but not as funny. (laughs) Thanks. They seem well edited, but from what I have seen on iTunes and other podcasts, you guys seem to have started first and Pike has done a video sync to your recap. You know what? If they're actually ripping me off, that's great because that means they actually listen. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. The most sincere form of flattery. Yes. Yeah, but shame on you, Sci-Fi Network. At least give us credit. (laughs) Yeah. I'll do it. I mean, I'm doing it for free anyway, so just uh, (laughs) give me a call. You know our number. (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead into our summary for this episode, which was entitled Faith. On the Demetrius, Hilo orders Gata to execute the jump back to the fleet, but Anders shoots Gata in the leg, and there's a standoff. Starbuck says she will go to the base star in their raptor. Wish you'd brought that up two minutes before, Hal's Gata. Starbuck remembers that Athena is a Cylon and may actually be a useful asset for such matters, and so she, Anders, and a red shirt jump to Leoban's coordinates. 
They arrive at the site of the Cylon battle, gliding between gutted spars of Cylon capital ships, their infrastructures exposed to space and randomly detonating. Starbuck observes a flaming hunk of base star streaking across a gas giant and recognizes it as the comet from her vision. But they are struck by hurling debris, and the next thing they know, they are in the base star. The crew finds the Cylons are as dysfunctional inside as the chaotic flotsam outside. The Eights want Athena to ditch the Sixes, the Sixes want the Raptor's jump drive, and Anders wants to see if jacking into the Cylon water interface will do more than soften his cuticles. Back on Galactica, Rosalind, now bald from her treatments of chemotherapy, is spending time with another cancer patient, Emily. She is curious why the woman would listen to the ramblings of Gaius Baltar, but the two form a bond and Rosalind experiences a dream similar to the one that Emily described, and one not dissimilar from Baltar's teachings. On the base star, a capricious Six attacks the red shirt and kills her. Anders wants blood justice, but Starbuck says hold off. Natalie Six ends the standoff by killing the blonde Six. Starbuck enters the chamber with the hybrid. The hybrid offers a clue about the final five, and for the benefit of those that have not seen Razor, tells Starbuck she is the harbinger of death. Athena pulls the hybrid's plug right before she can say, and I'll give you a freebie, one of the final five is standing right over there. On the Demetrius, the countdown clock ticks down to zero. Kilo is about to jump when the base star appears above them. Mission accomplished. Roll credits. Okay, Jen, so what do you think of the episode? I love this episode. I thought it was one of the best this year so far. There were, for me, just two annoying, well, one really annoying thing and one sort of silly thing that I was like, hmm, could have done without that. I thought the opening scene was incredibly intense, and I've, I've been missing that after it, it went to break, after that opening scene. Both Steve and I were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Michelle? I liked it. I thought it was a great episode. I don't think I have any complaints about it. Like, Rosalind's little interaction, I don't know exactly what it was trying to do for us, other than show us where she's at. Maybe Rosalind will convert to Baltarism. I don't know. I was more into what was going on with the base star and the hybrid and all that stuff. I think the whole Rosalind thing was definitely to put Rosalind's face, quote-unquote, into question. The whole episode was playing off of that word. But that she's been so hardcore, multi-god woman, and that she's having this vision or dream, or she's actually as the, the Bajoran. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, you know, that she was there. It wasn't a dream, it wasn't a vision, she was there. And then Rosalind experiences the same thing, and buys into it enough that she's saying, I'm not ready yet, you know, this woman's gone across the river and she can go, but I'm not ready to go yet. Which says, to some extent, that she may believe in what is happening to her. I can buy into her seeing a different approach. And I don't know if they intended to be like quite as black and white as her accepting monotheism over the belief in the gods. I just don't think she would wholesale say oh yeah this makes sense and uh what everything i've thought before is is a big fallacy so i can see her saying there might be something truthful to what baltar is spewing out with like the whole river and a few of his tenets of his teachings but uh, i agree i don't think she's fully abandoning her faith but the fact that she's even considering what this woman's been saying and what baltar is saying is amazing She's so anti-Baltar that she would almost refuse belief just to spite him. And the fact that she had this vision or this out-of-body experience or whatever it was, at the end she has a sort of like surprise look on her face like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Is this really happening? 
I keep bringing up the James Callis interview, but there's so many little little nuggets that he mentioned to us without giving away that now seem to make a little bit more sense. We talked to him about his haircut, and he had said that there were other characters who were going through similar things who were bald, characters plural. And we knew from photos that Aaron Douglas had shaved his head, but I don't know why. Somehow it didn't occur to me that Rosalind would be going bald as well because of the chemotherapy. But not only that, but she would be going through this sort of searching in terms of her faith, the same as Tyrrell seems to be and all part of this, this overarching religious theme. So pretty interesting how that's coming into play now. I have to say they did a really bad job of tucking her hair up into that cap. Yeah, yeah her head looks looking huge. like Alien Nation. Yeah. All she was missing were the little like skin coloration. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, your cranium looks a little big. <laughs> yeah, they could have done that a little bit better. Here's an email we got from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's Sally, I hope. Sally writes, I'm writing you from Copenhagen, Denmark. I just watched the latest episode and am left with a mixed feeling. On the plus side, I really enjoyed the scenes in the base star. And it's so nice to see Anders' response to the events. On the other hand, there are elements in the episode that kind of bother me, like the girl who said to Starbuck she'd always thought Kara kicked ass and wanted to be there for when she found Earth. Where did that girl come from? felt like the scene was only there so we would know who she was because they were going to kill her off right after. Not to mention Athena's response to being back. I didn't feel like this is the way her character would have reacted. I can't really put this into words, but in some way it just felt off. Also, the scenes with Laura and the other cancer patient. I was slightly bored. I get that they need to show the feelings and thoughts she has concerning her soon death, but maybe this could have been done with interactions or conversations with the Dama. Uh... Actually, you know what? I'm glad they had her with this other person because I'm kind of tired of the Adama, Rosalind stuff. And it's not that they're not doing it well or that there's a warmth between the characters, but every episode they're sitting there, he's reading to her. They're sitting there. I don't know. I, I'm glad they had someone else to reflect Rosalind's feelings back to her or for her to absorb something else. I'm kind of glad they did this. I think that it didn't tell a whole story, but it's opening up a new story for us that I think will probably reveal itself in the next couple episodes. I mean, she's got to die eventually, right? Maybe. That's the theory. Well, that's sort of the quandary. If the polytheistic gods' scriptures are true and she's the dying leader, that means that there is some validity to their religion. But if that is all bunk and there's only the single god, then she's dying for nothing. Unless the Cylon god... Kind of like the Old Testament is for both Judaism and Christianity, right? So maybe there's like a little bit of stuff that overlaps. Yeah. And uh, that was a good point about the red shirt that got killed off. Like as soon as that person got on the on the raptor, I was like, that person's dead. Oh, yeah, I knew that too. I think they're blatantly doing the red shirt thing right now. Well, in a recent podcast, Ron Moore said that they were going to have someone else pilot the raptor that the one racetrack was on. But he thought that people might think that they would, it would be a red flag that they're going to kill them off. But I'm like, maybe you should have done that because then we'd be like, oh, they're going to kill them off. Oh, wait, they didn't. Instead of, oh, racetrack is going to die. No, I don't know. It's almost. Well, I say, why not kill racetrack? How many episodes are left? If she was going to have a bigger role, they would have started to open that up already. Yeah. I was saying at the beginning that there's one really annoying thing about the episode, and that is what they've done with Felix. I'm really annoyed about this. They turned him into this big wussy who has no loyalty and he was the epitome of loyalty when they were on new caprica and now he's this guy that's like don't let me lose my leg leave my crewmates and my friends here to maybe perish in the middle of the galaxy 
while they're on an important mission to find Earth, and I don't want to lose my leg. There's a few characters that at one time are gaining characterization that now seem to have regressed and atrophied, like Gaeta is one, and then the other is D, like D is totally off the radar. Those characters are really just sinking back, receding into the background as these other major players take their roles in the final positioning of the pieces for the big finale. I'm just, I'm really annoyed by that. He was a man of his convictions, you know? He was risking life and limb to deliver messages to the resistance when they were on New Caprica. And suddenly, he's like, I don't want to lose my leg. I just felt like it was really, totally, completely out of character. And if I were that actor, I'd be pissed. I don't know. Maybe Gaeta is just, maybe he's given up on his loyalty because every time he's been really loyal, he's gotten screwed in the deal. Yeah. You know, he was loyal to Baltar and look what Baltar did. And he was loyal to Resistance and look what they tried to do. They tried to airlock him. So I think he just doesn't give a crap. To some extent, I guess they had to choose someone to have that happen to that Hilo had a stronger relationship with. Like I was saying to Dimitri that I really felt like they could have done it with the whiny guy and that would have completely fallen into character with him because all he has done since we've seen him is whine. But they chose Gata so that they could have that little interaction when Gata's in the bunk and slowly bleeding to death. You little man, don't let me lose my leg. Well, that whole, you know? de- that whole device of him lying there and it's like, oh, I don't want to lose my leg. I don't know if they executed that part of the story as well as it could have been because like you say... For him to make that one little plea about, let's go back now, it was over really fast. It didn't seem to like really hit very much. And then otherwise, it's like, well, if they're not going to do it, then the only other imperative they have to leave is when they have to leave because of fuel. And so like he's taken out of the equation at that point. So it's almost like, yeah. why even include that in the story? Why don't I just, okay, he's shot, but don't make it this issue about he could lose his leg because they never brought it up again. Outside of it being out, out of character for him, we just had this really intense scene where guns are drawn and Anders shoots Gata and everything is total chaos and then suddenly it's like crystal clear. Kara snaps out of her trance that she's been in. She's like, okay, I was wrong, but I'm on a mission. I'm like, hello, yes, the mission. <laughs> Everybody needs to remember that you actually got sent out here by your admiral to do something, to stop your bitching and get on with the mission. But that being said, I really still liked it. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a good episode. There's like a few things that you know I could find some fault with. It's cliche to the point of not even talking about. But of course, they're gonna arrive one or two seconds after the timer hits down to zero. It's like they could have picked any number, and it would have been they will arrive ten seconds after it goes to zero, right? The thing that killed me at the end, when Adama and Rosalind were sitting there talking, and he's, like, musing about all these people, and he's like, Hila, Sharon, am I ever going to see those kids again? And I was like, the only thing missing from that line was crazy. Am I ever going to see those crazy kids again? (laughs) I was like, really? Did he just say that? Well, aside from that little bit, Adama wasn't in the episode at all, and I think this might be the second episode in a row that was Leeless. You won't hear me complaining, but I don't think he was missed at all. No. No. I didn't miss him at all. <laughs> Baltar was absent from this on minus his voiceover on the radio. There was no chief. Tori had a very small part in the beginning. Ty, I don't think Ty was in this one. Let's bring up the hybrids 
clue that she gives them. She says, A dying leader will know the truth of the opera house. The missing three will give you the five who have come from the home of the 13th. Now, the only line that really seems like it's got something new to offer is where it says, Who have come from the home of the 13th. What does that mean? Does that mean the original five came from the 13th colony, which I guess would be Earth? That's what I took from it. I like the last line. You are the harbinger of death, Kenneth Race. You will lead them to their end. And I wonder if that means what it seems to mean or if it actually is a little more subtle than that. I mean, who are they? Who will she lead to their end? And is the end necessarily death? I mean, end could be the end of the line, you know, end of line, which would be... In terms of a journey, it would be Earth, but leading them to their doom or to their death, the hybrid from Razor, that line, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was very close. That one seemed to be a little bit more clear in terms of saying that you're not leading them somewhere, you're just leading them to a destruction. So I don't know if the two hybrids statements reconcile. The hybrid, the actress that was playing the hybrid, and who is she? Why does she look familiar? to look it up on IMDb, but yeah, um, she did a time. good, good, crazy there at the end. Mixed in with the sort of like heartbeat screech. It was a good bit of crazy that she let, let us have a look on. The actress is probably like, thank God I get to like say one line. It's just not like this monotone techno babble interspersed with these little cryptic clues. I actually get to say in an almost normal voice, you're the harbinger of death, Kara Thrace. With a little bit of a smile on the corner of my lips. That must have been like, thank yeah. you. In terms of uh, the future, what that holds for the future. Again, myself not having watched previews of any kind, you have to assume now that they're going to reconnect with the fleet and there's going to be an odd alliance of this Cylon group with the fleet. And I really look forward to seeing what that will look like and what the initial reactions are going to be. And it could be interesting because there might be a lot of debate right from the start about there's no way that we're going to let them tag along with us. It could be more of this talk about it could be a trap. They could be following us. I mean, it does start the whole hybrid, again, from Razor in that extended bit. And by the way, I really wish we had not seen or they had not released that extended hybrid scene where they talk about the races getting together, the Salons and the humans getting together, because we kind of could see this coming. We knew at some point that it was going to happen. So in Leoben last episode proposes the alliance it was like totally expected it wasn't something that i, I felt came out of nowhere i kind of wish that bonus scene had remained in the vaults i don't know but anyway this does seem to be heading towards that end that razor's hybrid had prophesized At the beginning of this season we said we're glad in the season premiere that the two forces had gone and they'd fought each other and they're not just joined up right away but we still have a long stretch of season to go Granted, there's lots of factions within the Cylon fleet that are still fighting, so it's not like the Cylons as one whole are joining up with them. But, you know, what's going to happen for the next 15 episodes? Will there be an alliance? Will the alliance hold? Any ideas? I'm kind of hoping that that they, I mean, shocker, that they don't go the obvious route. I hope that whatever it is that we get a real whoa out of it. And I think that that really hinges on who the fifth is, which I, and I don't know, did somebody say that it had to be a girl? No, it doesn't have to no. be. We just think it might be because of the ratio as it is right now is right. dominantly on the male side. 
So if it was another one, it would be four men in the final five and only one woman. And that would also mean, I think, what it would be, eight? Eight overall Cylons and only four females in the whole 12? Well, aside from gender diversity, (laughs) I'm really starting to feel like it might be Adama. And I was telling you guys earlier that I was looking at the last other picture and saw that Sharon is holding her hand out in the same manner that Adam holds it out to God in the Sistine Chapel. And she's pointing directly at Adama when she does that. I think it would throw a lot of things into question. It's one of the most non-obvious things. My friend Jen is convinced that it's Rosalind, which I kind of feel like would be a little too obvious. And it can't be Kara, because that would be way too obvious. So I'm kind of feeling like it might be Adama. And if it is, then I think that that throws a lot of stuff up in the air as far as how it's all going to play out. Real quick, how much time you got? I should probably go, actually. Okay, thank you. All right, I'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so speaking of theories, I got a really interesting email from Tobias. He has two theories, one of which is the final fifth Cylon he thinks is Zarek. Zarek? Yes, for a few reasons. He writes, first, he was a terrorist who was conveniently, quote-unquote, being transferred on a prison ship at the time of the destruction of the 12 colonies. He had bombed some government buildings on Sagittarion. Zarek is a master manipulator as he eventually became president of the colonies and starts killing political enemies in secret tribunals. Also, he's basically a bit character that we know almost nothing about. And lastly, it would come as a huge curveball, as the actor is, of course, Richard Hatch. (laughs) That would be funny. Now, Starbuck, he goes on to write, Starbuck was dead and has now returned, claiming to have seen Earth. She claims to be able to sense the way to Earth, but I do not think she is the last Cylon. Here's why. Number one, it's too obvious. Number two, I think she is a human-Cylon hybrid. In season three, they revealed who her mother is, and I'm pretty sure they stated that both her mother and father were both in the military, stating that he was married to his career. I think her father is Saul Ty, but she doesn't know it. Creepy! This fits because she and Ty are very much alike. Both drink heavily, both are bitter, both define themselves solely by their military ability. They were the only two primary characters that were taken to prison and tortured. Ty was tortured physically, and Starbuck was tortured mentally. She has painted the same pattern, which is the Eye of Jupiter, since she was a small child. This becomes likely if her father was one of the final five Cylons and her mother is a human. I think the fact she is a hybrid is the reason she can fly and fight better than anyone else. I think this also explains how she can sense the location of Earth. I love this theory, and I also hate this theory. (laughs) I love it because everything he writes makes perfect sense. It really does seem like a fit, a lot of that. That if you were to have an older Cylon, which ties the oldest of the final five, back to the original Cylon War. He's been around. and been around the block. He's apparently been around. <laughs> and if he was her father, that would make a lot of sense. That she, like uh, Nikki, would be a hybrid. You know what? That would be just so weird. But the problem is, I am just so tired of... The so-and-so was your father that appears in movies, and especially sci-fi franchises, Yeah, that I hope they don't do it that way. As much as this really does make sense, I hope they don't the do whole, it that The way. guy you thought that was your biological father really isn't your biological father. Yeah. Yeah, that thing. But I, I love it. I, I think that would make a lot of sense, except that it falls into that trap, that cliche. Yeah. It would certainly add an extra element to 
everything that's going on. Well, considering how much they hate each other, yeah. or at least they in the beginning when they they would hate each other, and then after New Caprica, and they actually bonded and they were drinking together, and it has the tones of of that type of relationship that underneath kind of uh, a subtext of them without knowing it. Right. I mean, I like it, but also don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so can we go back to the whole scene about the hybrid? Yeah. That was probably the best scene in the entire episode. I mean, minus Kara sticking her fingers inside Gaeta's leg, which was really painful. But <laughs> that actress, the way that she was screaming, and she held on to that scream for quite a while. <laughs> and Kara's face is like right in her face. The whole time I was thinking, I wonder what the two of them are thinking right now as she's trying to scream. <laughs> it had to be a very odd experience. And then the centurion in the corner. Like as he kept tilting his head and looking yeah. and seeing what they're talking about. When he, the centurion was doing its head tilts, like my dog does when I say <laughs> keywords like outside and yeah. you know that it tilts its head like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hybrid was saying those things and it was like looking over and you can almost see it processing a little bit. I think on some level it might have been like all this talk about Final Five and. I wonder if the he three. connected. I don't know if it was that. It might have been just something like all this is talking about Final Five and there's my brethren are just totally out of the picture. Yeah. We are really just peons in this game. They let us get some sort of sentience, but we are the underclass. And, you know, they're talking about all these maneuverings and, you know, going to make alliances. And when it all comes down to it, we're still just these tools, even though we have this. I'm reading a lot of just like this one little CG move, but... But I find it interesting that he basically snapped when they were going to unplug the hybrid and shot Sharon. Yeah, I wonder if that was just sort of like a response, a quick instinctual response, like you're not going to do to her what you did to the Raiders. You're not going to unplug or lobotomize. I think on some level that's what it was. It was just sort of... They're yeah, coded I, to be guardians, are coded to be sentries, and when someone is mucking up your ship's main computer system, you stop them. And but I think it's quite significant that they're no longer recognizing, or on some level, they're not recognizing the, the skin jobs as authority. Yeah. Any other time, if the skin jobs decided they wanted to unplug the hybrid, he would have let them. I think Andrews is going through an interesting... Oh, I wish he had stuck his hand in that water. Yeah. What would have happened? Like, stop being a wuss and just do it. <laughs> I think of all of them, they're all embracing it or accepting it in a different way. His seems to be, it's the least chaotic. It's the least dramatic mm-hmm. compared to everyone else. But it also is, in a way, the one that I could like most empathize with. He seems like he hasn't like fallen to a dark side like Tori has. He hasn't like flipped out like Chief has. He's just really growing very gradually into it and he might at the end of everything he might be the one that is the most in grips with it right because everyone else is either avoiding it on some level or they're plunging in without looking and uh just blindly forging ahead and not seeing what a consequence might be it was kind of weird though that the hybrid for all their fantastic clairvoyant powers and i watched the scene again just make sure he was in the room couldn't have said you know, something, you know, yeah. the fact that, and he's really close. Yeah. He's really close. Yeah. Especially when he went to take the hand of the dying eight, he's empathetic towards them. And I don't know, it, it was a good scene. And actually something I wanted to bring up was they had a callback in this episode to when she reached out to him and Boomer, not Boomer, when Athena reached out, but didn't quite accept 
uh, Eight's hand. And that was a callback to earlier in the episode, or it might have come later, I'm not sure of the chronology, when Emily holds her hand out to Rosalind, and Rosalind grasps it. What's great about it is, this is the sign of a show that's a mature, well-produced show that knows that it's heading towards a conclusion, and they're able to map out exactly what beats they want, not just within an episode, but over an arc of episodes. Because the shot of Emily holding her hand out to Rosalind was visually very similar to the one that in the previous episode, the chief had when he put his hand out and Baltar took it. So it's like these little symbolic beats are clicking on levels across scenes in an episode and across series in a season. Great stuff. I really appreciate the way they're doing that. I think that's great stuff. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> it's easy to agree when the episodes are really good, right? So Yeah, I I highly enjoyed this one. I mean, I thought the scenes with Rosalind and Emily were kinda kinda slow, but they had a purpose. Yeah. You know, and it made sense and and I agree that it was better to do that with someone else rather than Adama. Because she wouldn't have been able to question her faith. She wouldn't be able to she wouldn't have been able to have a discussion on that level with Adama. Got an email from Bill who says, I call BS on Natalie Six that snide remark about human justice and blood for blood. Isn't blood justice what the bleach blonde six was after when she attacked Barley? And that leads me to another question. What's the relationship between the various copies of the seven main models? To what extent are they the same? They established earlier this season that the sounds almost never vote against their models, and the eights seem to have that creepy unity. But the sixes seem to come in several different flavors. Very good flavors. Yeah. <laughs> Very delectable different flavors. <laughs> That's true. The sixes of all of them have shown the most variety. There's the Caprica six. There's the... Who is different from just the Beach Blonde six, who seem very vindictive. and Yeah. Uh, and then there's the Natalie six and course there's the head six i think it actually might come around back to something about the head six the fact that there's something about that line but but yeah the the eight line every time they show up they're like these pod people come with us come with us (laughs) like i mentioned this in an earlier podcast but it reminds me of in toy story when they the toy plops into that toy vending machine there's like all those little aliens they're like hey yeah (laughs) that's what they remind me of i don't know again it, it comes back to possible numerology is the number eight significant because by the time they got to eight did they just not care if they the beginning of a new line line and they just they weren't baked enough i don't know baked enough (laughs) they didn't stay in the oven long (laughs) enough (laughs) they are a little different in their own weird way so i guess we all agree this was a really good episode i will give it a b plus which is really good for me i'll give it an a and you'll give it an a and i think jen would probably give it a probably Jen had to exit, but I will be her proxy and I will say she gives it an A. And Dimitri gives it an A without even hearing a word out of his mouth. Like a shiny silver star. <laughs> and a silver star. Jason, hmm, this is fun. Let's let's think what Jason might have done. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I think Jason would give it an A. Maybe an A minus. I think you would have liked it because it didn't have any political stuff in it. We get to see the Cylon side of things, which, and I tend to agree, is often more interesting than what we're seeing in the colonial fleet. And I heard of Grace Parks. I heard of Grace Parks. Yeah. All right. So this has been the Galactica Quorum. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. And our voicemail is 206-350-6756. Our website, galacticacorum.com. Send us an email. Send us a voicemail with a question or comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.
Let's see. How much time you got? Are you getting kind of close? Um, I just emailed and told them that I needed 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and since I called the meeting, um, I get to say that. Sweet. 